we, we have been in, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew as we've been traveling along, and uh, we've come to the place that commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, which is from Matthew 5 all the way through Matthew 7. And so last week as we went through, you know, one of the things that we say each and every week is that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking specifically to his disciples, but he's allowing a much larger crowd to listen in. And so last week we were at this place uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in chapter 6, and, and uh, as you know, we, we just shared a few moments ago that we are beginning our Next Steps Ministry Center um, campaign. And I, I was going to talk about that this week, but I really felt like I needed to come back and just, just talk a little bit about what we shared last week, maybe go a step further, and then we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But in chapter 6, last week we came to the place where in verse 19, Jesus changes his subject and he says this, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he has the word for there, and that, that word for there means this is his conclusion. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so last week as we talked through this, we made a couple of points. And we said, first of all, nowhere in the Bible does it, does it say it's wrong to have treasure. What they were doing is they were storing up treasures for themselves. He's warning against that and then excluding God in the, in the, uh, in the mix. And then we also... We looked, at that, we looked at that verse from a literal translation and we noticed it said treasure, there on your outline, treasure not up to yourselves treasures in heaven, which is, which is what it means. Treasure not to yourselves treasures. And uh, the reason that a literal translation uses the word treasure two times is because the original language uses the word, the same, uh, the same word two times, but it uses it in a slightly different tense. And so there on your outline where our Bibles would say store up, you see the Greek word there and uh, it means to accumulate riches and hopefully uh, underline that. And then it says treasures and that word is the same word, just a slightly different tense and it says a deposit or wealth. And so one of the things that we said last week was that Jesus is talking here specifically about where we put money. He's not talking about good deeds but specifically where we put money. You want to write that down. And Jesus concluded that section and he said, verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he gave uh, for, for some a very painful truth that our heart is always where our treasure is. And, and then Jesus took the rest of the chapter to describe two reasons why people who profess to believe in Jesus do not treasure up, you know, put treasures in heaven. Uh, and, and the first one we talked about was what he, he termed the evil eye. I put that there on your outline and it says, but if thine eye being evil, and, uh, and if you have the, uh, in your Bible, verse 23 says, if your eye is bad or evil, the word there bad means evil. And so he talked about having that evil eye towards God and speaking to believers. And so we talked about that. And then we went on, we said, you know, the, the other reason was that some people, they don't have the evil eye, they just have a hard time trusting. And so Jesus said in verse 25, he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried for your life as to what you eat or drink, or for your body as to what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so Jesus then goes into three reasons why his people who profess to believe in him should be able to trust him in this, in this uh, idea of uh, placing their treasures in heaven. And then we looked at verse 24. And in verse 24, Jesus makes this very strong statement. He says, no one can serve two masters 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And uh, then he, he sums that up by saying, you cannot serve God and wealth. And some of your Bibles would say riches, money, or, or mammon. It's all, it's all the same. And so there the point was, and go ahead and write this down, Jesus is saying, I can't say no to God financially and still be his servant. You can't serve two masters. Now, it doesn't say you can't be his child. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. It just means that our effectiveness in serving him is just, it's not going to be there. That we can't say no to him here and still be his servant. So, one of the things that I notice, and I think we all notice as we travel through the Gospels and through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is that God is always putting his people in situations where he calls them to trust him. And the question is always, will you trust me? And uh, there are many people who believe in God, but never come to the place where they actually believe God. So as, as we travel through this, we're going to see a number of different uh, times where God is calling his disciples to trust him. One that we're familiar with, Jesus says, we're going to the other side of uh, the lake, everybody get into the boat, and uh, you know the story, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat on a mat, there's a great storm, and as, as things are, you know, just, just it feels like the boat's coming apart, the disciples turn to Jesus in the midst of the storm and they say, do you even care that, that we're perishing? Of course, Jesus wakes up and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And one of the things that we're going to get from that is that Jesus is asking the question, will you trust me when you go through a storm and it appears that I'm very silent? Uh, Will you trust that I'm there and I care and I can handle this? And so he places them in that situation. And many of us have been placed in similar situations and storms in our life. Another time, there's going to be thousands of people and they're going to be listening to Jesus and Jesus says, they're hungry, we need to do something. So they do a search and they find somebody's got a couple of fish, a couple of pieces of bread. And so there Jesus says, now you feed them. So they have to trust. And the question there is going to be, will you trust me to accomplish something great when the resources are very, very small? Will you still trust me? And so they have to trust. And then another time, one of the things that we're all familiar with, they're going across the the lake and there's a storm and Jesus comes walking on the water. How cool is that? And so Peter says, can I get out of the boat? And Jesus says, yes. And in that question, we know the story that as Jesus, as Peter looks at Jesus, as long as he's looking at Jesus, he does fine. But as he begins to look at the circumstances, all of a sudden it begins to sink. And so the question there is, will you trust me to do something that's never been done, something greater than you've ever done? And so God is constantly putting his people in these situations where they have to trust. So why does God do that? Well, God places us in situations where we have to decide to trust him because that's how we grow our relationship. When when we trust him and he shows up, that increases our faith and it deepens our relationship. In uh, our family, when our kids were small, the, the two in particular, but we have this pool at our house. And I remember very vividly that we had this game that, that we played. It was called Jump to Daddy. And so they'd get on this side of the pool and i say, jump to daddy and they'd jump. And then I'd shoot them over to the other side of the pool. And uh, I have one child that I say, jump to daddy. And it was just, uh, jump to daddy. Daddy's going to be there. They just trusted daddy's going to catch her. And certainly I would. And so I catch and, and off we go. But I had this other child that I'd say, jump to daddy. And then just get all tense. I'm like, I'm right here. I mean, it's not a big pool. You can jump. I'll catch you. But it get very, very tense, you know, and, and would be afraid to jump to daddy. 
Now, here, here's what's important to understand in that. The one that jumped to daddy and the one that didn't jump to daddy, I didn't love the one that jumped to daddy more than the one that didn't jump to daddy. They're both my kids. That never changes. But here's what happened. The one that jumped to daddy, I got to share in the fun, and, and they got to share in the fun. It was an adventure that we both got to enjoy. For the other one, I didn't love that one less. It's just that I missed out on the adventure, and they missed out on the adventure. My love never changed. So many of the things that we face when God calls us to take those steps of faith and to trust him are just the game of jump to daddy. And and the underlying question that he has for us is, will we trust him? And so there's a number of situations that we're going to find ourselves in life where the question is going to be from God, will you trust me? There is one area that God calls all of his children to trust him in, and it's in the area of finances. So here in chapter 6, we see it's storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so the question there is, will we trust him? He says, you know, consider the birds of the air, consider the grass of the field. I take care of that. Can't you trust me? And so we have to answer that question. Now in the Old Testament, there was this concept that God gave all the way back in, in, the, in, the, in the law, the first five books of the Bible. As Moses was leading the people into the wilderness. God says, I want you to do something because I, I want you to learn how, how to trust me. And he gave what was called tithing. Now tithing was where God's people put, gave the first of their income back to the Lord and then he would turn around and bless them back. And part of that was to teach them to trust him. But there on your outline, one of the ways that, that it said, it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God, and then what's that, that word? First in your lives. So God says, this is a way that you put me first. The difference between a tithe and a tenth, a tithe is 10% and a tenth is 10%. The difference is the tithe is always the first 10% and, the, and, and as opposed to a tenth could be any tenth. The tithe is always the first. So God says, I want you to put me first. The calling to put God first in our lives is not just an Old Testament concept. In the New Testament, Jesus is constantly telling his disciples, you have to put me first. You have to trust me. I have to be the first priority in your life. And this is one of the ways that that we do that. So what I want us to do today, just to, to take a few minutes, I want you to take your in Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to turn to the left a few pages, and you're going to come all the way to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter, I know we don't do this too often, but uh, we can do it. Matthew chapter 1, and then you come to Matthew chapter 1, and I want you to go one more page to the left, and you find yourself in the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament We typically pronounce it Malachi. Does everybody see that? Malachi. Now, if you're Italian, you have the freedom to pronounce it Malachi. But Malachi or Malachi, however you want. But I want you to go to chapter 3. Chapter 3. And and, uh, as our story picks up, it's about 400 years before Jesus is born. So there's this gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's about 400 years. And and as our story picks up, one of the things that we're going to find is that God's people had become very apathetic about the things of God. 
And, and they're beginning to notice that they're not experiencing the blessing that they used to experience. Things are becoming very, very different. Their, their crops are failing, their businesses are struggling, they're having financial difficulties. And if you were to go back a couple more chapters in Malachi, you'd find out that their marriages are really struggling. And, uh, and so they begin to ask, what's happened that, that God's not blessing our lives anymore? What, what's taken place? And so God begins to answer that question starting in verse 7. And in verse 7, here's what he says. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. Now, statutes just means the, the things that he's written before. He had written some things down and they've kind of turned away from that. And you've not kept them. Then he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So, so how shall we return? Uh, it's important to understand that they're there. So they're in conversation. God's speaking to them. And uh, they're asking the question, why, isn't, why aren't our lives blessed? And he's answering the question to them. So they're saying, what do you mean return to you? We're here. We're in the place of worship. It's not like we've gone out and done weird things. We're right here. What do you mean return to you? And what do you mean about turning aside from your statutes the things that you had written? Well, it's at that point that God begins to answer their question. And he begins to put his finger on the problem in their lives between him, between, between them and God. Verse 8. Now in, in verse 8 and 9 we're going to see the word robbed, robbing, uh, rob, however you'd say it. And I want you to underline it every time you see it. It'll be important for our study. God begins with a question. He says, well, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. That's two times. But, but you say, well, how have we robbed you? in tithes and offerings. And you want to underline tithes and offerings. He says, here's the result. You're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. It's not that God is flinging curses on them, but he's begun to pull back his blessing. When God begins to pull back the blessing, you begin to feel that curse. So again, he says, you know, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. And, and, uh, the tithe was supposed to be the first 10% that God's people brought to God. And when he says, you're robbing me, what that means, and he uses that word four times, what that means is that God's people were taking the part that belonged to God and they were consuming it all on themselves and they were excluding God. And, and so what, what, what took place there is over time, God's people, as time went on, they, they just began to give God a little less and a little less and a little less. They went from putting God first in this area of their life to uh, giving what we would call leftover giving. And then over time, they just uh, ultimately just stopped giving it all. And so what's going on in that time is that the priests just, well, they just went out and got jobs. And uh, the temple started to become dilapidated and God says, you know, you took the part that was supposed to be given to me, that says to be given to God, and you've just consumed it on yourself. Now here, here was the frustrating thing to God, is that they didn't do that in any other area of their life. It's not like they took the part that was supposed to go to their mortgage payment or to their electric bill or to their car payment and took that and consumed it on themselves. The only area that they did that was the part that was supposed to go to God. And over time, God looked on and he says, you know what, I, I'm not going to bless that. I'm not going to bless that. So 
God, uh, in verse 8, they, they say, so will a man rob God and yet you're robbing me? But you say, well, how have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. The idea is that they had consumed 100% of what God had given to them and they consumed it on themselves, but they had excluded God from the process. In the New Testament, we find that God doesn't just bless us for us. There's something that He wants to do through us. And it's very common, even for New Testament believers, to take 100% of what it is that God allows to come through our hands and uh, to then consume 100% on ourselves, but then to exclude God from the process. And when we begin to do that, God begins to exit the area or the arena of our financial lives. And one of the things that we're going to find in a few minutes is that other areas he begins to exit also. We'll talk about that. But instead, and what I love about the God that you and I serve, he doesn't get angry and he doesn't say, you people. He just says, guys, here's the solution. Here's the solution. So verse 10, he begins to give the solution. Here's what we do to bring God's blessing back. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. And I've underlined and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. What I love about God is God says, I'm I'm not just trying to get something from you. I want you to test me because I want to once again pour out my blessing in your lives. But the question is going to be, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because we look on and we say, well, you know, I can't afford to do that. To which he would say, will you trust me? Uh, someone said, well, don't I need to get things in order first before I do that? He would say, could you trust me? And in Matthew chapter 6, as we've been reading, he says, you know, look at the birds of the air. Look at the grass. Uh, I'll take care of them. Aren't you more valuable to me than them? Will you trust me is going to be the question. So since putting God first is not just an Old Testament concept, I thought we'd take a few minutes and, and let me just... Uh, highlight a couple of nuances in this that I've always found very fascinating. First of all, in in verse 10, he says, you notice he says, bring the whole tithe. Does everybody, does your Bible say bring? Okay. Now it's it's interesting to me, and Bible scholars point this out, and I've always found it uh, fascinating, but God says, you want to write this down, bring it, not give it. Now why does he, why does he say bring it and not give it? Well, the reason he says bring it and not give it is because he owns that he owns all of it but that part he says that goes to me and he began this by saying you're robbing me and he drove that point home by saying it four times that part belongs to god if he didn't own it he would say could you give it but he doesn't say that he says bring it that part belongs to god We put God first in the Old Testament. We put God first in the New Testament. That never changes. And then we also notice in this, as as, uh, we unpack it, there's there's a way that God wants his people to do this. For instance, I put it there in the outline, verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe. And very specifically, he says, into the storehouse. And then he gives the reason. 
so that there may be food in my house. He says, there's, there's something I want to do specifically through the storehouse. Now, in the Old Testament, they understood that storehouse as being the temple. And the reason you would take that, you're giving to God through the temple, they understood that because the temple was the place that you went and you received ministry. It was the place where you received teaching. It was the place where you connected with other believers. It was the place where when you're going through a difficult time, there was counsel and there was, there was provision. They would step in and they would help. So in the Old Testament, the storehouse was always the temple. Now in the New Testament, it just becomes the local church. Go ahead and write that down, the local church. For instance, if you just skip down, uh, we'll come to that verse in a few moments. Uh, But then uh, go ahead and and, uh, write this down. The tithe is for God's cause, not a good cause. The tithe is for God's cause, not a good cause. You see, there's something very specific that God wants to do through, at that time, the temple, and it says bring, that there might be food in my house. And in the New Testament, it's the same thing. It's, it's just the church. So in the Old Testament, they called the storehouse, that would be the temple, the house of God. In the New Testament, notice how Paul says it. Paul says, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Does everybody see that? So the Old Testament, the house of God was the temple, the storehouse. In the New Testament, it's just the church. It's the same thing. It's still the house of God. Now, when we say it's it's for God's cause, not a good cause. Now, here's why this is so important. Sometimes someone will say, well, I, I believe in giving the tenth, but here's this cause that I want to participate in. There are some great causes, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But then there is God's cause. So in, in, when you look at God's cause, in the Old Testament, bring it to the storehouse. In the New Testament, he says, the church is God's house. But it doesn't stop there. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you'll know specifically that, that the church is called the bride of Christ. It's his girl. And then another way of talking about the church is to say, it's his body. There is, from God's perspective, no higher cause than his house, his bride, his girl, and his body. Which is why Jesus says, I will build my church. But he doesn't say, I'll build another organization. Everything that he wants to do begins with his house, his bride, his body. It's the church. So, so the first tenth always comes to the storehouse, as, as it was in the Old Testament. But I also wanted to highlight something. You notice, and you want to write this down, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. But he doesn't say, and you want to write this down, he doesn't say bring the full offering. Did you notice that? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, but he says tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings are two very different things. The tithe always goes to the storehouse. The offering, and go ahead and write this down, is above the tithe, and goes to any good cause that I choose. Any good cause that I choose. So we're all passionate about certain causes. So here's what this looks like in, in Cheryl's, Cheryl's in my life. What we do is the first tenth comes to the storehouse, comes to the church. Uh, wherever you go to church, we would tell you, make that where you bring the first tenth, the tithe. Put God first in your life in that way. That's the first tenth. Then there's some things that we're passionate about. 
So there's a child that we support through Children's International. That's a great thing. But that's an offering. That's above the tithe. And then beyond that, we really believe uh, all the times in the Bible where God says, I will bless those who bless you, talking about the nation of Israel. So we found a way to bless the nation of Israel through a ministry that's called Kolal Chabad. And uh, we've been participating with that, blessing uh, widows and orphans in Israel. Very passionate about that. But that's the offering. That's above the tithe. We also realize that, that now we are moving into a building fund in order to build the Next Step Ministry Center. And so we need to participate in that. Those are great things, but they are above the tithe. The tithe is always the first tenth, and that comes to the storehouse. Old Testament and New Testament. Now one of the things uh, I've always thought was interesting, and I just put that, this out, this is just for fun. You notice there in your outline, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And if that's the Holy Spirit, I'll call him back. He <laughs> says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The whole tithe into the storehouse. And uh, I, I've, always, I've always found that interesting that he says the whole tithe. Now why does he say that? Because you know tithe means 10%. It means the first 10. So it's not like you know, half the tithe is a tithe. It's because it's, you know, it's 10%. So why does he say uh, whole tithe? I, I think because he knows that we have this propensity to be great tippers, and so he feels the need to say not just tithe, but whole tithe, because we could possibly miss that. So I noticed there that he calls it, and you write this down, he calls it tithing, not tipping. Tithing, not tipping. And, and here, here's the part that... Um, uh, I love, and it's the part that I think is left out so many times when we talk about this. At least perceptually it's left out. I want to read verse 10 and 11, and and notice he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. There's something I want to do. And then he says, now test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now is there anybody here who would like to see God open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing? Can I? Three of us. Good. Three of us want this. Good. For the three of us that want this, we're here. All right. But what I, what I love about God is he doesn't stop there. He says, I, I don't just want to bless you and have, have you know, those things. He goes to verse 11. He says, I won't just stop there. He says, then... I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine vine in the field cast its grapes, says says the Lord of hosts. So here's what he says. Not only do I want to pour open the blessings on you, I want to protect you from the devourer, the things that want to come in and pick away at all this stuff that, that that you're hoping to build. You ever had, uh, just, just, it just seems like somebody's just picking away at everything. He says, I want to rebuke that. I want to hold that back in your life. And so when you look in the Bible, every time it talks about putting God first in our lives, every time, he always attaches what God wants to do in our life. So for instance, we see that here in Malachi But all the way back in the book of Proverbs, notice what he says. He says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the, what's that word? 
first, underline that, of all your produce. Put God first. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. He says, I don't just want to get stuff. I want to turn around and bless you. And then even in Matthew, as we read last week, he said, uh, I'm sorry, not Matthew, but uh, Paul said this. Paul, we, we did read this last week. Paul said you know, there was a church that decided to support Paul and uh, he's a pastor, he's a missionary, he's an apostle. People are being fed God's word. The church is growing. And Paul said this there in your outline. He says, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And we talked about laying up those treasures in heaven and how when they did this, it was going to their account. That account was in heaven. So on the one hand, they were laying up treasures in heaven. But then he goes on, he says, you know, what you have sent a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice. He says, it's well-pleasing to God. And then he says, because you have done this, here's what I can tell you that you can now expect from your God. He goes on and he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now here's where we mess this up. We've all heard that. My God will supply all of my, our needs according to his riches and glory. The problem with that is it's attached. It's attached to something. Because God's people jumped on board financially supporting Paul and his ministry and what God was doing. Paul says, now you can expect that God will jump on board with you and he's going to supply all of your needs. When we take that verse, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, and we forget that it's attached to something, many times we can become very frustrated with the results. Paul says, because you did this, here's what you can expect from God. So here's what we get from that. You want to write this down. God blesses our putting him first in our finances as the way to bless and protect our lives. He wants to bless our lives and he wants to protect us. You know, one of the things I can tell you is, uh, as you know, I'm a dad, many of you are parents, and, and you know this. You know, when they hand you that baby, which one of us ever says, I can't wait to mess this one up? <laughs> or, or do we, as the heart of a dad or a mom, do we look on and say, I want to bless this child as much as I can? And sometimes, as humans, we say, I wish I could bless them even more. That's the heart of a parent, and that's God's heart. That's God's heart. Well, so here's the question. He says there on your outline, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the big question, Old Testament and New Testament. Simply this, will I trust him? Will I trust him? Again, in in, uh, Matthew's gospel there in your outline, he says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first, and I've underlined the word first, his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, and all these things will be added to you. He says, in your time of greatest financial need, trust him. In the time where it doesn't seem like it's ever going to work out, that's when you need to begin to trust him. Begin to trust him before you know how the month is going to work out. Put him first. Now it's one thing for me to tell you these, that, that you should put God first. I'd like to take just a few moments and share a story of somebody in our congregation who several years ago chose to begin putting God first. And when they did that, God stepped 
in and began to work in pretty incredible ways. So if you would, please give your attention to the screens as we share this story. So, you know, I was, I was born and raised in, in southeast New Mexico, West Texas area, you know, out in the oil field. And um, for the most part, all my, all my life in that area from child to, you know, maybe high school, I was raised Southern Baptist. And I never, I never heard tithing. I never uh, was, was taught a lesson by any of our Baptist pastors. Um, I just, all I knew is that the, the big mahogany plate would, would pass by and, and people would drop a dollar, some change, a $5 bill, and then you know, every once in a while you'd see somebody drop something a little bit more significant. And to me, it was just you know, one of those things that you did, a couple dollars here or there. Um, you know, I went on to Southern Methodist, Southern Methodist University, um, didn't really uh, participate in church, wasn't involved in the theology track at SMU. Um, and then after I graduated, I ultimately met my wife, uh, Christy, who became my wife. And uh, we were really, you know, we were Christians. We were unchurched. Uh, we didn't participate in church at all. And then uh, we moved here to, to, to Florida. Um, I guess it was about eight years ago, we joined Calvary. And um, I started hearing the word. Um, it wasn't just booming sermons. Uh, it was actual you know, I, I was learning Jesus. I was learning, you know, really who Jesus was and who Jesus is, and, and what the Word is. And um, so, the tithing, which what I know now is the tipping, began uh, for me at Calvary, and um, you know, in, in the boxes in the back of the room, um, until the point I think it was January 2010, and Pastor Dan. Uh, did a lesson on tithing, a couple lessons on tithing, and did a tithing challenge. I think it was a, I think it was a 90-day tithing challenge. And so uh, we, we were sitting there. We'd been regular churchgoers, sitting up at the front right, you know, every week. And and uh, I told Christy, or she told me probably, you know, we need to start doing this. And and so uh, the next week, you know, we started doing that. Um, we're in the construction industry, and we were. I guess you know, fairly pretty much in the middle of, of our recession. And it was, it was not good times. Uh, work was very slow. We were doing everything we could to keep uh, all of our employees working. Um, and all of my peers in the, in the trades, uh, didn't matter what trades you were in, everybody was hurting at that time. So we started tithing uh, January 2010. February of 2010, I wrote Dan an email as a testimonial. And part of that testimonial was um, the incredible things that, that happened, that had been happening in our lives. And this is financially. Um, everybody was still slow, all the trades were still slow, but jobs started pouring into our office and, and some were, were not even competitive. And it was incredible and it was overwhelming. And I came, I remember coming home one night telling, telling Christy, I said, you know, these things shouldn't be happening and it, it never occurred to me why they were happening. And it took Christy going, Jason, you started tithing. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, you started tithing and things are changing. And that was that, that was that aha moment that I had. I was like, whoa, you're right. But personally, 
uh, spiritually, our family, everything changed. Um, it, it felt like our, our marriage was blooming. It was even better. It was always good, but it was even better. It was like that piece of the puzzle was inserted into the board and it was complete now. And, and that piece of the puzzle was Jesus. You know, it was like there was, a, there was a fire that was lit and it was raging out of control. So, you know, the tithing challenge that we did in 2010, it's now 2017 and I don't regret it. I don't miss any of the tithings that, that, that we've given. Um, it feels so good to break those those bonds, those chains that, that bind us because, you know, most of us, you know, money is so important. We have to pay bills. We have to, you know, live and survive. And it's, it's always that one thing that usually is one of the largest stress points in our life. Um, but when you can just forget about it and when you just let it go, when you just put it out there and say, Jesus, take this, this is yours. You've actually put me in a position to earn this. And, and here is this, here's this to put in your storehouse, to, to build your following, to build Christ followers. Um, at that point, it's just, things don't matter anymore. It, it, life gets better. It feels good to give. And, and we've experienced that as a family. And, Thank God, thank Jesus that Dan did that uh, because I would have not ever known. I would have been a tipper the rest of my life. Uh, I would have dropped a five and a 10 and a 20 in the box uh, on occasion, um, but now I know. And now I've seen the other side and, 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 and praise Jesus that it has happened this way. So the, the idea is it's not that God wants to get something from you. He doesn't need anything from you. If you can speak the universe into existence with the word, you really don't have needs. But he's designed us uh, with a need to give, to give back to him. It makes us like him. Uh, there's a verse that says, for God so loved the world that he, and the way, and the way that we become like him is we give back. Not so he gets, but so that he can give to us. And so he can bless our lives. Three quick thoughts as we wrap up today. Three tithing uh, habits. First of all, you want to give by priority. You always want God to be the first in your life. Old Testament believers, New Testament believers, God is always first. And I want to say to those of you who put God first and you've been putting God first in your finances, you're the reason that this church and in every church in America, the reason every church in America can have a building, air conditioning, uh, lights, can do ministry, give out donuts and coffee, uh, can, can be there to do ministry, is because God's people put God first. And uh, I want you to know that God is honored by your putting him first. And so thank you, and, and God thanks you, and, and uh, continue on. And the second thing was you always want to give by percentage. If, if you're every once in a while putting something in, I want you to go and look at the percentage that, that you're actually giving to the Lord. And, and I would encourage you, when you find out what that is, begin to move that up to the place where you're tithing. And as you do that, 
Watch and see if God begins to do some pretty incredible things and open some doors in your life. And that grows your faith as you continue to go on. And, and then give progressively, progressively. I, I love this verse. It says, instead, we hope that your faith will grow. If you're here today and God has not really been part of your financial life, I want to encourage you, start somewhere. Don't be the person who continues on professing to love Jesus but never participates in what it is that God is doing. Start somewhere and let God begin to take that and work in your life and then progressively move maybe as you see God responding to you taking that first step. And uh, we'll be very encouraged to hear the stories of what God does in your life as you begin to put him first. With that, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for you calling your people who love you to put you first in every area of our lives. And uh, Lord, we pray that as we begin putting you first, that we would see you doing things that we could only describe as being God. As Jason shared in an industry that was going through a recession, his business began to take off and how you do things just like that. Father, I pray that even in the times we're tested in this, we'd see you show up and continue to carry us through and accomplish great things. Lord, it's Mother's Day. We pray your great blessing on all the moms who are here today. And God, I pray that you keep all of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.